Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Enrico Puglisi, and he'll be answering your questions on flies that catch fish. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Enrico a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box there to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right column of our web pages. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, BeatSpot, Player FM, or any of the other platforms you might be using. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the distribution platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd appreciate you sharing our podcast. And when you do it, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now. There's some links on our homepage there, which you can share this show, and uh, we'd really appreciate it. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Enrico Puglisi about flies that catch fish. Douglas Outdoors is a manufacturer of premium quality fly rods, raising the expectations that anglers should expect in componentry, design, engineering, craftsmanship, and in turn performance. Led by head rod designer Fred Cantui, Douglas has achieved award-winning rods featuring eye-opening strength-to-weight ratios and dialed-in technique-specific actions and tapers that cater to a host of different species. Douglas Outdoors has a truly deep lineup of rods, ranging from 12 weights for monster tarpon to two weights for tiny brook trout and everything else in between. Check them out at douglasoutdoors.com. Again, that's douglasoutdoors.com. Before we introduce uh, Enrico, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Enrico's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on the link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a $100 prize package from Enrico Puglisi Flies. So thanks to Enrico and Dan at Puglisi Flies. And uh, they're going to put together a customized package for the winner of this tonight. So um, here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. It could be two questions, too. I may, may make it hard tonight since we have such a great prize. The questions would be about something Enrico and I talk about during the show, and they must submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on our homepage. So listen closely, uh, use your best typing skills, take notes during the show, and maybe you'll win that $100 prize package from Enrico Puglisi Flies. Our guest tonight is Enrico Puglisi. Enrico learned about fly fishing before he could walk. Surrounded by the Mediterranean in his native Sicily, he watched his father and uncles catch dinner all kinds of bait. Sparked a passion within him that uh, grows, continues to grow today. And while working as a chef in Sicily, he met his American wife, Karen, and in 1980 moved 
to their her hometown, New York City, where he pursued passion for fishing on the Connecticut River and other New York streams. Then he hooked his first trout. It sparked an insatiable thirst to understand why fish eat artificial flies, and he began experimenting with various materials and patterns. At the same time, he was trying to improve his English by reading fly fishing books and magazines. Yet something inside him always drew him to the sea, and he began to shift his focus to fly fishing in salt water, starting with Long Island beaches. In 1992, Enrico took his passion for fishing and tying and opened the practical fly shop in Little Neck, New York. His customers encouraged him to create original flies, and he began to experiment with more durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that eventually became part of the catalog offered through Enrico Puglisi Limited. As uh, EP flies and EP fibers today, uh, Enrico no longer maintains the practical fly shop, but through Enrico Puglisi Limited, his innovative products continue to have a groundbreaking impact on the future of saltwater fly fishing. His unique and hand-tied flies are recognized around the world, and he's been invited to demonstrate his meticulous fly tying techniques across the United States and Europe. All of his patterns are designed to match specific bait fish and to be imminently fishable. Enrico, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Oh, thank you, Roger, for having me at your show. I'm very uh, happy to be with you and share the night with all of the listeners and yeah, uh, well, be able to answer all the questions I can. Uh, yeah, well, we've got lots of questions, so uh, well, <laughs> we'll pick your brain. Well, uh, you know, please do, you know, catch me now because who knows, <laughs> you know, take the opportunity. <laughs> Here I am. I'm all yours. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so, you know, we said, we heard in your bio, you first got introduced to, to fishing uh, when you were a young boy. Tell us a bit more about your experience in Sicily. Well, it's, uh, the experience is very simple. I'm coming from a very small uh, little town of barely 6,000 people in town. And uh, in my young age, it was not easy uh, growing up in a small town. But, you know, thank God that we all uh, did well. We survived. And uh, the main thing uh, for us, you know, especially for my father, was basically raise the family and uh, provide for the family along with my mother. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Being on the outdoor, you know, you have the passion to do whatever the outdoor offer you. So we're close by the water. So fishing is like a, a nature thing for us in town. And uh, that's how the whole thing started. And my father... Did you... Uh, uh, were your family uh, strictly um, fishing for their own uh, catch for the dinner table? Or were they commercial fishermen? No, they were not uh, commercial fishermen. Uh, in fact, my father, believe it or not, was a mailman. Ah. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, you know, during in the spring, summer, fall, uh, uh, after his work, you know, and after lunch, you know, here we go. We go fishing and, uh, you know, we go having fun. The main idea was to have fun more than anything else and spending value time together and uh, why not you know catching fish and to put on the table I mean uh, and not only we did that for ourselves but you know the way it used to be back on uh, basically you taking care of the neighbors as much all the neighbors taking care of you so fish for everybody and then everybody whatever they got they they share and makes I think makes a lot of sense share what you got yeah yeah nice nice to have that kind of uh 
uh, people in your neighborhood and uh, being able to share the, the food. That's great. And it seems like so many of us get started with our fathers uh, fishing, right? Yes, um, yes, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think that's, a, and like you said, I think that the main point is getting out with dad and spending time with him because so many times the dads are at work, you know, so uh, that it's, time is it's valuable. It's unfortunate. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you came to the United States, well, first you fell in love, I guess, huh, <laughs> in Italy? Well, it's, it's one of those things, you know, and the interesting enough, uh, believe it or not, uh, when I met my wife Karen uh, back home, I was engaged, pretty much ready to get married. But, uh, oh, you know, <laughs> guess, guess what? Here I am. <laughs> well, uh, you know, those New Yorkers have influence. You know that now, right? Well, who knows what it is, but, you know, I always, uh, I, I always uh, you know, uh, thought that way, you know, and that's what I've been telling my, my son and my, and my daughter that, you know, you know, don't get crazy, and uh, when the time comes, you will find the right person for you. So it's a matter of the time, but it will come. So yeah, that's what yeah. happened to me. So she drew and, you and to he, New York, right? Well, you know, basically, yes. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? You know what I mean? It's, uh, when, when you are in that situation, you fall in love. Obviously, you want to be with the, the person you love, and... Uh, and live the, live the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, I visited New York. I liked it. Um, different, totally different, where I'm coming from, and, and here I am. And here we are. So what did you do when you first came to New York for work? Were you... Well, when I, uh, when I first came here in New York, I was, uh, you know, back home, I was working as a chef. Uh, I was dealing with... Uh, mainly with hotel, uh, the town close by, you know, the surrounding is a big uh, tourist attraction. And so for, for me, it was, uh, it was you know, one of those things, you know, the, being a chef was the passion, I had the passion, always being with my mother, you know, playing around the kitchen and help her out. And I added, I added that, that touch, let's put it this way. And then, uh, at some point, I decided to go on hotel school back home and uh, went to work in hotels, and that's where I met my wife. And so, came me in the United States, and obviously for me it was an easy, an easy thing to do it to find a, uh, a job in the major hotel in Manhattan, and that's how I started. Oh, on in Manhattan! Wow, wow. Yep. That's a uh, kind of an intimidating place to start, right? <laughs> Well, it, it is, uh, absolutely, and for me, of course, so it was big. I mean, it's not the same dimension of where I came from, but I say that when you are confident of when you, you know, what you do in life, uh, and you're confident of yourself, and you believe in yourself, you know, well, you go over, you know what I mean? You don't get right. limited. You just go ahead and you do it. Simple. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get interested in fly fishing? Uh, <laughs> I want to introduce it to you, or? <laughs> well, not really. Uh, fly fishing. Uh, I had no knowledge whatsoever when I came in this country on fly fishing. For me, uh, fly fishing uh, was very simple. You see the fly, you know, you kill the flies, you put on a hook, throw the throw <laughs> the flies on the hook on the water, and you catch the trout. 
I mean, <laughs> that was uh, that was uh, my knowledge. I got you know, and, and they, when I tell people that they left, and of course, but and then of course, uh, you know, being in New York, I don't, you know, I most caught that in a magazine, an outdoor magazine, you know, because also I like hunting, I like you know small birds. Uh, so I got a, one of those uh, magazine, Field uh, and Stream, I believe, or something like that. And then, you know, those days they put it, I believe it's some kind of article on fly fishing. And then when I put my eyes and uh, try to understand, okay, well, what is this? You know, I want to know all about it. And that's pretty much what it caught my, the attention on, on fly fishing. And uh, in the beginning, of course, I didn't understand. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a, the concept. And then little by little, reading and looking at magazine pictures and try to understand. So I wanted to know more about it. I was very, very curious. And I, I got to start that way. Hmm. So you pretty much did it on your own then, it sounds like, in uh, books and magazine. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that what it was. And, uh, you know, basically reading the magazine, you know, when I started those days, um, you know, my English is still uh, it's still a mess, so don't get me wrong. But those days, it was, it was a disaster. But uh, <laughs> so what I did pretty much is I start to buy the magazine. I start to reading. And, you know, the vocabulary those days, you, you know, you didn't have the your telephone, you can make an instant translation. <laughs> and you start to reading and making it, and then, you know, you catch the interest on that. And that's when I really, I wanted to learn about it and I wanted to do it. And so you, uh, start to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, and you started fishing for trout uh, initially? Well, uh, yes, because, uh, um, you know, again, what did I know about fly fishing specifically was for trout. So magazine books, and uh, many times I was bothering my wife. I said, come on over here and read me this and explain to me in Italian what that means because a lot of things I really don't understand in the book or magazine. And that's how I started. I got myself a, a fly rod and a couple of flies in one of the local sporting goods store in Manhattan, and I, went, I started on my own without knowing what I was doing. In fact, I wasn't catching anything because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. So, <laughs> you know, I had to work on it, you know what I mean? And, I still have those days, then, Enrico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, and, of course, those days there wasn't that many people around that you could, you know, uh, ask and, uh, for help and uh, ask the question how and, mm. you know, to approach the whole uh, sport and how to do it. And uh, little by little... You know, I, I did it, and, you know, and then I find out about the state park in Long Island, you know, trout fishery, and uh, that's where I started. You know, basically, uh, I fished over there. I started to catch popular trout, and, you know, it, that, was, that was just when I started uh, about fly fishing, pretty much. So... Did you learn how to tie flies in the same manner, just well, trial and error yes, on your own? Well, because what happened was uh, when I bought myself uh, the fly rods and reels, the line, and whatever I, I needed, what I, whatever I thought I needed, I got flies and uh, a couple of flies, and I didn't know what to do with it. And But again, you know, learning from magazine and books and uh, 
they were showing how to uh, construct the flies for trout, and then I, you know, I got a lot of interest in that. This is something you can do with your hands. And obviously, being a chef, you you create things. You know, you put your brain to work, your eyes to work, so you create a thing. So for me, it was like uh, like putting together a dish, appealing, you know, to the palate of the people. In that case, is creating the fly, you know, to appeal to the trout. So that's how I started. You know, basically tying flies for trout, and and that was it. Did you get your um, materials from the uh, fly shop in Manhattan? Is that yes, uh, there yeah. was a two fly shop in Manhattan, but the one you know, Orvis was in Manhattan those days. Still is. Uh, uh, they had the most of the materials and the tools, and uh, the gentleman over there he helped me on it uh, to put together uh, the fly tying. Uh, tools I needed, including device and uh, and uh, starting materials more, and I started pretty much with uh, Wooly Bugger, Holberg, and uh, some Mickey Mouse, and then uh, I started to do some nymphs. Uh, not much of the dry. The dry was a little bit, you know, upscale to me. I wasn't ready to to do dries. Yeah, also because where I was fishing over there at the state park, the streamers and nymphs were more productive than the dry. So mm -hmm. I went that way until I discovered the Delaware River system of state New York, and over, you know, and then that's what I start to learn the dry flies, and that was a totally different game than nymphing and, and the streaming, of course, and and I got more passion for the trout and. In fact, many people really don't know that I started, you know, my career on fly fishing for trout. And many people think that I'm strictly a saltwater guy, but it's it's right. not. I started I started with trout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that Good. and I learned I learned a really great deal on uh, on trout flies. I really did. Yeah, yeah. That that came that came in valuable later on in life. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Enrico, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about how you transitioned from uh, a chef and an amateur fly fisher <laughs> to, to owning yes, a fly shop. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll go there right when we come back. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Thanks. Aha Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams, and just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. The vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Enrico Puglisi about flies that catch fish. If you'd like to ask Enrico a question, let's go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive them immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as we can tonight on the show. Enrico, at this 
point in the show, I always ask my guests what's going on in your fly fishing world. So you, you had some pretty big changes this past year. Tell, tell the folks about what you've been up to. In this past year? <laughs> well, well, um, I mean, you, you, you're kind of uh, retiring from the, the business, right? And, uh, well, and gone I, into I will, testing? I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, will, I would like to because, uh, you know, I, I'm, let's put it this way. I've been doing this for, uh, for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, I would like to enjoy more of my life along with my family, of course. And, uh, you know, you've got to give a room to the younger generation. At some point, you know, you have to know when just to step aside and give a room again to the newer generation. There is a lot of talented uh, young out there that they can really do so much. And, uh, you know, I encourage all of them. You know, don't be afraid. Be out there. Do your things and, you know, you mm -hmm. share your idea. And, and that's exactly what I have been doing from day one when I started. I never hold anything back myself. I always have been out there and sharing with uh, anyone that was willing uh, to, to share and learn. And that's what I really would like to do. It. You know, little by little, just to, you know, step away and... Uh, and perhaps go fishing a little bit more. I mean, that's my goal. So we'll see if I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. If we just get rid of this virus, then we can all go fishing more, right? So, uh, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that we are in this uh, unpleasant situation and, and a very difficult situation for all of us. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I would say that, uh, you know, stay put, stay tight, and, you know, things will get better. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know how we say in my back back home. You know I make the best I can translation to say to everyone, it cannot be darker than midnight. So that means once we reach midnight, and then it's gonna be one in the one a.m., two a.m. It start to get lighter and lighter and lighter. So you know, let's right. let's do we can do that together. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We just work through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us how you got uh, from. Uh, being a chef on Manhattan to opening a fly shop on Long Island? Well, it, it, it was very simple. That was a, a really crazy idea for me <laughs> to do that because I didn't know nothing about retails and uh, I didn't know anything about, you know, owning in a fly shop. But one thing I really uh, knew at the time was uh, how difficult it was to find the materials you needed to tie flies. So I said, you know what, you know, maybe I should give him a shot and, and put together a fly shop. And uh, my idea was very simple. Basically, having a fly shop um, and having them all the material that people possibly needed. Uh, just to give an idea, if I, had, uh, if I was selling, let's say, if if the market was offering 47 different colors on Bucktail, well, I had all 47. I didn't have just one of this, two of those, and five of that specific color. You know, that's, that was my idea. If I had the dubbing materials, if it was uh, hair's hair, I had all the colors available and so forth and so on. So that was the idea to put a, a fly shop that basically you walk in and you'll find it, you know, what you really need of. Mm -hmm. 
So your shop was catering more towards the fly tires than um, that's you know, like guide services or, or things like exactly. that. Exactly, guide service. Okay. You know, the uh, of course the flies and uh, or right. whatever was involved on the you know to tie your flies. Basically, uh, I had it. That's what I offered. And uh, yeah, I added some fly rods, some reels, and you know the, the, the basics pretty much. But uh, I had everything you can possibly imagine, or whatever was available those days uh, as a fly tying materials and, and components, of course. Yeah, right. Now, um, was it during your ownership of the fly shop that you started developing your own materials and designing your own flies? <laughs> Yeah, when I started, uh, when I first started the fly shop, um, those days, that's when I started to heard about the fly fishing in salt water in Long Island Sound. And then uh, I thought that the fly fishing in salt water in Long Island Sound, what is that? What does that mean? So that's when I started to ask a question. And spoke with a few few people. I mean, there was a very few people that were fishing in saltwater for stripers and, and blues in my area, and um, that's the one I wanted to see what it was look like. So and uh, so I went with the, somebody that I knew those days. We went, and the guy showed me the deceivers and uh, the clouser. You know, clouser just you know came out th those days and. Uh, and deceiver was, you know, the deceiver was out there already for many years. And start to, when I got, you know, when I took my first striped bass, and of course the striped bass that pulls a little bit harder than a trout, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a, this is something that I think I'm gonna like it. <laughs> so now all my attention, you know, shifts to the salt water. Because, uh, you know, obviously if I want to go trout fishing, I have to do three hours of driving into the Cuskill uh, up to the Delaware system. And when I have the stripes and bluefish over here in my own backyard, you know, maybe half hours, you know, I can't even walk now to go and, and give a couple of casts for stripers. So that's when right. I shift over the salt water. Okay. And, and then um, did you start... Uh Designing your your flies uh, and selling them in, in your own shop there is that how that yes, started? Yes, that's exactly that's how we started. Now, of course, you know when uh, uh, when I started fishing for salt water and fishing with the deceivers and the clouds, and so you get in one blue fish and then you have a one fly because the fly get destroyed by the blue fish. You get a couple of stripers and the fly is destroyed. I mean, you know one or two or three flies, and then I was thinking, I think, well, it's taking me about 20 minutes to tie the deceivers, if uh, I want to do a perfect job, and then I go over there, I catch one blue fish, and the fly is gone. This is not really working for me. So that was, that's when my brain started to work on it. And then uh, what happened was when we had the bunker in, uh, in town, uh, the baby bunker, as we all know, is a wide-profile bait, and the creating that wide profile with feathers and and bobtails and the schlap and uh, uh, marabou. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit complicated, and you cannot really give it the full design of the bait fish or of a baby bunker. 
And that's when, again, my brain starts to really start to get to work and figure out, say, okay, there has to be, you know, problem, solution. So there has to be a solution to my problem. Number one, I tie one flies. It takes me half hours. I go catch one stripers or one bluefish. So the fly is gone. I have to start all over again. And then I cannot really create the flies I really wanted to with both tails and feathers. Mm -hmm. So it has to be something else. And so from that, you started looking at uh, developing your, your own materials at that point or just, yes, just that's, sourcing that's, different uh, things? Well, that's when the whole thing started. You know, those days, uh, there was not really that much uh, materials available uh, as a synthetic. Uh, we added uh, the super hair that were offered, if I remember correctly, by D.H. Uh, Thompson. Uh, that was a company, and then we added some fish hair. But those are, you know, simply fibers, you know, to tie more streamers type like uh, in, like a deceivers or clouds, those, that's the material that was available over there. So if I want to do a uh, silhouette such as the baby bunker, that specific materials, it, it will not give it to me what I'm looking for. So that's when I start to go around and looking. And then uh, at some point, you know, maybe you get lucky in life when you see something and all of a sudden your brain tells you, Okay, that's it. This is it. This is what you really needed. So for what you find it and put to work and develop the, the specific materials, then you go far. And that's what happened to me when I pretty much discovered the fiber those days and when I start to play with it. And that's when I, when to me, it just was like a light just turned on and see those fibers, so now I can really do a silhouette of, uh, for a baby bunker. And that's when I really started. That was... Mm -hmm. that? Well, I'm assuming that uh, at that point you were, were sourcing materials from other industries or something to try to, uh, to fill the gap, so to speak, of what you needed. Um, yeah, that uh, when, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I was uh, start to sourcing out in materials, and uh, you know, until I find those fibers. And then when I did find those fibers, I had to put a lot of work on it. You know, perfect the colors, and and just make uh, suitable for for the fly fishing for to create those specific uh, flies. So the fibers were really your first uh, material product that you came out with then? Yes, absolutely. The, the EP fibers were the first first materials uh, back those days. And uh, from there, um, today we have, uh, you know, everything else. You know, we got all the fibers available and the brushes, of course, and, and so forth and so on. But everything started with the EP fibers. And, yeah, and again, yeah. uh, you know, what happened was those days, uh, there was a, you could really count it in your fingers, you know, three, three fibers all together plus some crystal flush and uh, some flushable, but that was it. And, and then, of course, when I started with that, uh, you know, creating the first peanut butter, but incidentally, 
the amount of the materials that I put in the hook, those in the beginning, today, with the same amount, I'm not joking, the same amount today, basically, I can tie three flies. So that's wow. how much materials I was putting on, on the hook. It wasn't not necessarily, but of course, you know, you're learning along the way. And you do right. the adjustment side in the flies and go fishing because, again, and I keep telling to everyone from for what I learned myself. If they remember, when you tie a fly, it doesn't matter what materials you tie with it. The flies, it's not, it, it doesn't appear. It's not in the world. It's not what it appear right now in in your eyes when you do tie the fly. When you put the flies into water, it totally changes. So you need to understand that the transaction from the hook that you tie on it at your vice when you go fishing and you put the flies into the water. They're two different animals. People need to understand that, and that's when you yeah. achieve a great results. Yeah, yeah. And and you enjoy testing, right? Absolutely. Uh, more, than anything, <laughs> more, more than anything else, uh, you know, what I really, what I really enjoyed and uh, what I really was doing that wasn't necessarily for me to understand you know, uh, look at the bait fish, their behavior. How they behave when those the bait fish get trapped in a corner from those bass and uh, and bluefish. What they do, I mean, and uh, the color uh, changing. You know, they and they really do change the colors because when the bait uh, they are trapped in the corner and they know they're gonna be eaten by those fish. I mean, I, basically, I'm dead. So. I mean, I can see, I can see with my own eyes on the bay fish. So that's the way when with the fibers, you now you can start to play with colors and give it the, you know, the, the change on colors and you it can make the illusion uh, on the bait, you know, to mimic uh, the bay fish and fool basically those fish. We've got a few questions here on the internet. I'll try to catch up with these with you, Enrico. Um, David Sanchez in uh, Greeley, Colorado, he says, uh, are you a self-taught tire? We already answered that. He says, you use synthetic materials mostly. Do you ever combine natural material with your salt and freshwater patterns? And if so, what, what are those patterns? Um, I really don't do uh, combine the two together but I don't see why not. Uh, the only materials I combine uh, as uh, synthetic and natural is uh, some foxtail that I use for the brushes. Uh, and, but that's the only um, combination I do. Uh, because, you know, once I started uh, with the synthetic and I have a great result with the synthetic, and understand the fact that the synthetic, you know, the, the EP fibers don't absorb water whatsoever, and but the natural material do absorb water. So I really, when I understood that, I just stay away from natural. Also because you know the you don't get a really a color. The color that they apply in natural it varies you know, from back to back. There's no question about that. It, it never can be the same because it's a natural material. The right. synthetic materials, you, you always have the same color. 
you cannot you cannot mess with that. The color it is or what it is. But when it comes to the natural, you don't. So to answer to the question, yes, you can you can mix the synthetic with the with the natural. Uh, you can use the feathers. You know, you can start a fly as a tailing part with the feathers or both tail, and then you can end that with your synthetic, which is the EP fibers, or you can end that with a brush, which is a synthetic, or you can do vice versa. Yes, you can, and you will achieve a great result. I'm not saying that if you put natural materials mixed with the synthetic, the fly is no good. Absolutely not. Uh, it's no, a matter no. of a preference. It's a matter of a preference. That's what I have no. to say. One thing I just learned um, here in this past month is that, you know, there's another reason, I think, to start looking at synthetics uh, for replacements for some naturals, if possible, because I found out that, um, you know, peacock that we use have been using forever. Um, it is not uh, endangered, at least not the peacock we use, but it's been put on the, the CITES list of endangered species. <laughs> so now moving peacock, yeah, peacock from country to country becomes very expensive now. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and I, I guess uh, I actually was talking to a peacock uh, rancher this morning, and, um, and they were talking, and he said, yeah, basically it got – um, there's millions of peacocks in India, but for some, I, I guess they're kind of sacred or whatever. So India asked to mm -hmm. put them on the CITES list, and now they're on CITES, and <laughs> and yet there's millions of these birds around the world. They're not in danger wow. at all. Yeah, and uh, so you know, time may come when we have less natural resources mm -hmm. and need to go to synthetics. I suppose. Well, but, uh, I yeah. I would say so. I mean. I mean, we know how difficult it is to get a good feathers these days, and especially from wild birds. But look, if you want a feathers from a wild birds, you have to kill the birds. If it's a raised birds, it's a different story. But you know, everybody, everyone has a different idea when it comes to that. Um, mm -hmm. I personally, you know, when it comes to salt water, I prefer using a synthetic because. I mean, is the saltwater fishing is a harsh environmental. You know, you, you're dealing with right. uh, with big fish, you fi with big fish, big bait, and uh, you know, doing that with natural feathers and uh, animal hair, it's it's a little bit difficult. I'm mean, gonna say that you cannot do it, and the castability, obviously, you know, is different. It's much better with the synthetic. Yeah, no yeah. yeah the durability is super <clears throat> important because. Because those flies are not inexpensive to, to create either. Uh, you know, it's not like a, no. a, a midge pattern that requires like a, a couple of wraps of thread and peacock curl and you're done. You know, it's uh, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> expensive hooks, absolutely. expensive you know materials, and yeah, the whole yep. thing. So, yeah, yeah, you want to make them. Uh, a couple other questions. Uh, Bob in Columbia, he says he wants to know who manufactures your materials. Um. Well, all the material is manufactured in the United States. I can tell you that. Uh, and it's, it's manufactured is manufactured under my specification. It took me year to achieve, uh, you know, the texture of the materials, the colors of the materials, and uh, and of course, you know, when that, you know, when it comes to that, we're talking about, you know, volume. If there is no volume, there is no fibers. Of any kind, right. 
So, so I you can are, tell you only. Yeah, you are the manufacturer in essence. You just have a person that. Yes. Yes. I mean, a company yes, creates it, but you, you yes. are the manufacturer there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and and believe in me, it's not easy dealing with it because again, it's been years and years of of working on it, you know, and uh, not only you know creating but also improving. And uh, when it comes to improving a product, uh, myself, I, I really I stay on top of it. And uh, when there is a room for improving a product. The fibers or or a fly, um, I'll do it without wasting any time. In fact, right now, you know, with these times that everybody's on, I've been working on improving the, you know, the current flies that we have in our arsenal, and I'm already working on uh, a, a couple of new flies, and there is a specific one that has been driving me a little bit crazy for the past year and I'm not there yet because I have to find the right materials to do exactly what I want to do. This is how much I can tell you, but uh, <laughs> when when it will be done, believe in me, it's going to make another big change on, on the fly fishing. You trust me on that. I'm almost wow. there. I'm, I am almost there, but I, I'm going to make it. I know. I'm is, sorry? Is it a fly for a particular species of fish? For any general, fish, okay. is for any general design, okay. the general design flies, and uh, it will be like a, a surface uh, flies. You know, it's not a sinking fly, so it's going to be a lot of fun for those people that want to tie. They can go crazy and tie their version do any way they want it. For those people that don't want to tie, they just don't want to go fishing. The flies that will be available, of course, and that Great. will cover from. Um, I would say from A to Z, basically, all the fishery out there. So, well, that'll be exciting to see. We can't wait. Well, <laughs> as, as I say, I mean, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but I, I really wanted to tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm getting uh, I'm very close to these flies. And believe me, everyone will know uh, when it will be ready to go fishing. And well, now it's I, spring. Yeah. When I was... Uh, talking to your son Dan the other day he said um, he said well my dad never designs anything unless it has a purpose in other words you don't just create another fly in a different color because you want to uh, it has to have purpose so um, do you want to comment on that yes absolutely and uh, Daniel is uh, absolutely right not because not only because I tell him but because he sees that you know, whatever I do, I do for a purpose. And uh, I have to, I want to emphasize this in our family, which is the fly fishing family. Uh, from day one, from day one, I say to myself, I will never create a product just to be another product out there and, and, and put money in my pocket because people, they're not going to like that. You know, they're not going to like it, and they will remember that. And uh, for what? Why creating a product that it will is another one? It's a product that really has no purpose more than anything else. And uh, it, that's the main reason why you know I have a specific amount of a product for a specific amount of usage. And uh, and yes, and when I do a flies, you have to have a purpose. 
you know, it has to be specific for the purpose. Obviously, changes, you know, the uh, the sizes in hooks and uh, and length and profile and, and and color, but it has to have a purpose. If it doesn't, if the fly has no purpose, then I'm not doing. You know, I, not not a fly, not a fiber, not a brush, you know, none none of that. None of that, right? Another question on the internet here, uh, Phil McCartney in Kentucky. He says, uh, how would you order the, the following factors to consider in the fly, uh, fly, fly fish catching ability uh, decreasing in importance? Um, action in water, size, and color. So um, which one of those do you think is most important, less important, and least important? Uh, it's, um, it's a difficult for me to pick and choose just one. Because the way I look at it, it's the old factor of the flies when you fish the flies in the water. Obviously, I would say that I would say that the main thing is the silhouette of the fly, uh, and that will be first in order. After the silhouette, it will be the the action of those fibers, the way that. Uh, the fly really right into the water. Uh, in fact, uh, I have a many questions. A lot of a lot of fellows they mail me and ask me, uh, can I put lead into the hook, you know, to bring the fly down to the level where I want to fish? Yada yada yada. I say yes, you could do that, no problem. The fly it will it will fish well, but I will suggest you not to put any lead into the fly because that it will change the action of the fly. Mm. If you want to, okay. if you want to bring the fly down to a certain level, then you're using a sinking line or intermediate line or whatever your necessity is. But in reality, when it comes to fly fishing, you know how deep you really fish. You know, five feet, six feet, ten feet. You really don't go any deeper than that. And that's just pretty much it. So if you do, your best bet is to use a sinking line or sinking tip, and uh, and there you have it, you know. And so I would say silhouette first, and, and then, you know, the way the fly really moves in the water. And then after that, the color. The colors of the fibers, you know, has an importance uh, just to give it the appearance of the bay fish. But in my opinion, uh, more than anything else, and from day one, you got to have eyes into the bay fish pond. You got to put eyes on, because the eyes are a target for those predator fish. They're always huh. a target on those eyes. You have the eyes, and then you have a winner. That's yeah, what yeah. I have to say. Yeah, and it sounds too like you know we kind of asked you to order those elements in importance, but sounds like the way that you design, they're all important. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, why you spend would, so much time designing, right? Well, I would say, you know, what I would say is that it comes to pretty much natural. Um, how can I put it in a simple way? Once you start to work, you know, with those fibers, and once you start to understand those fibers, and you tie the, the specific flies that you want to create it, it comes so natural for you that you start to see uh, what you want to see on the fly. 
So basically, the fiber itself it really helps you a lot to understand, to create it, that specific pattern that you needed to go fish. So the fiber is a really play a big role in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about uh, your fibers specifically now. Um, how many different types of fibers have you uh, created? Uh, as it is right now, I have a nine different fibers. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, including uh, the the 3D colors, you know, the three-dimensional colors that I blended the colors of myself, so that people they don't have to guess. So they say, okay, I want to tie like a peanut butter. What kind of color do I need? Well, there it is. I already you know, put my time on it and try and so forth and so on. Um, but yes, and then of course we have, uh, every fiber is, there as a, is on purpose. Uh, when I do, if you do tie flies, so let's say from one inch to up to five inch, five, six inch, then in the EP fibers, the original EP fibers, that will do the trick. Anything that you go above the six, inches, which is basically a little bit larger flies, more meat into the, into the hook. And then uh, what I, my preference goes to the 3D mino fibers, because it's a, it's a blended of the EP original with another uh, little bit stiffer, more uh, blended colors and fibers at the same time. And then when you go into the really big one, you know, 10 inch and up, uh, and then my uh, my choice goes to the game change fibers. And that's pretty much, you know, three basic fibers and besides the variation on the others. You know, not counting the silky fibers and the trigger point, which is the newest one, dedicated exclusively for trial flies. All right. So the, the order that you just described or listed them in, is that the order that they were developed in? Um, uh, the order they were developed, the, the P fibers, it was the first one. Mm -hmm. And um, again, in the market at the time, there wasn't known any other fibers whatsoever. So the P fibers back in 92 were the first one out there. And then right after that, I did the silky fiber, a much finer diameter fibers, uh, more dedicated more for a small minnow pattern, you know, mainly those days, mainly for trout as a streamers mm -hmm. for fresh water. And then, of course, you know, you, you see, I mean, I, I saw myself many uses in salt water until today, I mean, it's unbelievable how much of those fibers you know, I use it for salt water purpose. And then after that, they came the uh, 3D minos, uh, ES letters. And uh, the last one um, in the family is the, the game changer because, you know, more and more people like to chase those big uh, pike and the offshores. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. And they need, uh, of course, the bigger flies. And uh, okay, there you have it. You know, and this is the material that will do the trick for you. 
tell us a little bit more about the 3D aspect of, of those 3D fibers. Uh, that's the shape of the actual fiber itself, or well, the no, it's uh, the 3D fibers. Let's say that the three EP 3D fibers are blended EP original fibers. So I blended the colors. And oh, okay, the blend rather than okay. I blended those colors. They they are no different fibers. It's a blended colors, and uh, the 3D minos is the blend of the the P fibers along with the the mighty fibers, which is a little bit stiffer blended, you know, with uh, and, and other fibers that I don't offer that. And then the silky fibers, as I mentioned before, in very fine diameter, uh, dedicated more for the uh, small flies. But I use a lot that for uh, bonefish and, uh, and permit flies as well, just to give an idea. And, and the game changer, the game changer fibers, they are a little bit stiffer, a little bit heavier, but it has a lot of action in the water, and that's why I came out with that, to, to give it that specific action to those big flies. We have, um, we have some questions uh, that came in about fibers in particular. Um, uh, so Dino in Michigan wrote in, he says, I really like all the ET fiber products. Any guidance on blending your synthetic fibers with natural furs or feathers? He kind of addressed that already, uh, he says, for subsurface flies. But he also asks, uh, does water temperature, winter to tropical, play a role in how you use the synthetic fibers? Is there a special yes. consideration for steelhead nymphs? That's a good, good uh, question temperature. Huh? That, that's a very good question. Uh, yes, indeed. When you, when you fish on the tropics, the, you really don't want to expose those flies on the hot sun because this kind of synthetic materials, you know, is tough, you know, and tough. But when it comes to the sun on the heat, they will start to crink a little bit. So the best thing you can do is don't expose it to the sun. Keep away from the sun and you will be fine because they are, as I say, they are tough fibers, but they are delicate at the same time, and indeed, you, you really don't want to expose it to that kind of heat. What about the action of the fibers in cold water versus warm water? Um, no difference whatsoever. Uh, no hmm. difference whatsoever, because I did, uh, again, I've been fishing uh, on both situations, and um, I see no difference. Uh, I guess uh, I guess it has the natural ability, whether if it's a cold water or or warm water. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Steve Bourne in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. He's also been a guest here um, on our show. Um, he says, "I love your materials and your bait fish pattern in size one or two is great for snook and tarpon, but when I try to make a bigger bait fish pattern, five to six inches for fish like dorado." He says, do you change your, your tying technique? He says, do you add a mono loop on top of the rear of the hook shank to prevent fouling, or will the fibers maintain the profile without such support? A small point, but often small. No, no, no. It's, matter. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really good question. Uh, I get that question uh, many times, and I want to I emphasize this. 
the P5 is the original, you can tie a flies up to five, five, five and a half inch, no problem. It, it will hold the shape, um, the silhouette and so forth and so on. I don't put any loops or anything like that uh, to prevent the falling, uh, the, the fibers and go around the hook. What I want to say that is this, the reason why we have it, you know, falling flies, if we do understand the mechanic of the cast, that you do the perfect look, you know, as we all know, when you do the perfect cast, you know, you transfer the perfect cast that you're doing, when you cast the fly, it will transfer all the way down to the fly that it gets presented to the fish. And believe me, I am not a great caster. I am a probably one of the worst casters out there. And they happen to me many times. And when I see that, I mean, I say to myself, Enrico, slow down. You, you know, you get too excited when you see this fish. And that really will not happen. Because if you do that good cast and you do the perfect loop, then the fly will not fall. Mm -hmm. That's so what not, I can uh, tell you. Yeah, Dave in Delaware had a similar question. He was talking about seven-inch long flies. How do you prevent materials from falling? So what you're telling me is, is basically it's more of a problem with casting than the flies themselves. Is that that's correct? what I've been, yes, that's what I've been seeing myself. But again, now when you start to tie a fly, to, let's say, above a five-inch, then, you know, the, the old dynamic of the flies, it really changes. So a stiffer fibers, you know, it will definitely help you and prevent, you know, to have those fibers wrapping around the hook. There's no question about that. But if you're using AP fibers, you are up to 5 inch, 5 and a half inch, you have no problem whatsoever when it comes to that. Okay. Um, and... Um I know, and, and we haven't said this yet, but um, your website is epflies.com, epflies.com. So, folks, if you're interested in seeing um, uh, Enrico's creations and his products out there, you can go there and purchase them there. Um, and I know you have a whole, over 100 videos on tying using your fibers and brushes and so forth. But is there any, like, one good tip you could give us about tying with fibers that, that would help someone if uh, yes, be abso better absolutely. Fibers? Okay. Absolutely. Um, first of all, I would like to, to say to everyone, if you go, if you log into my website, all the videos at the present are available uh, to anyone to watch and see. They are for free. They don't have to, you know, spend any money. We are in a tough time right now. Everybody say, I have to stay home. They got to kill sometimes. And it's a good excuse also to practice more of the vice. Um, if you look at the way I tie the flies, you, you should see easily that the less materials you put in a hook, the better it is because that will dictate it, the action of the fly. If you put more materials, you overdress the fly. So the main thing is when you pick and choose your, let's say, your bunch of fibers, okay, this, this is the best tip I can give you. When you choose the, the bunch and you, you roll in your fingers and you think that the bunch is 
is the right amount for you to put on the hook. When you think that way, split the bunch in IF, and you're using only F. That's the best mm. tip I can give you. Okay. Rem and, uh, remember. <laughs> the, um, uh, the other thing that's really nice on your website is, if folks, if you go and look at a fly, uh, whether and, and you want to tie it, if you look at the fly that you could actually buy on the website, Below it, Enrico's got the list of materials to create that fly. So he makes it as easy as possible <laughs> to learn how to tie those flies and to know what materials he needs. So, so be sure you pay attention to that as well when yeah. you're out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah in, we got. In fact, I'm go sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I just would like to add this to your comments. You know, not only we make it easy. Um, and what you know, the product that we sell online in our website. Uh, we, we don't have all kind of materials, we don't have all kind of components, we don't have, no. Uh, basically what we have available is whatever you needed to tie the flies. If the materials is not on the flies, we don't sell it, you know, that's right. the thing we do. We concentrate yeah. only what we, what we do so that we keep it nice and simple and that we, you know, we keep things in place, you know, we keep eyes on our quality of the product, not to have a gazillions of a product and then you, you know what I mean. Right, right. Uh, Barry Delmar in Pennsylvania wrote in, he says, I'm really intrigued with trigger fibers for dry flies. Can you tell us uh, a little about how you developed this material and any dry fly patterns for trout you have tried, tied, or seen using these fibers? Sure. Um, this trigger point, although they've been out in the market for the past uh, almost uh, four years now. Um, I've been playing with it. I'm not exaggerating for the past um, nine years. Again, up to the Delaware system. And um, and these fibers, I say to myself, uh, you know, the synthetic fiber, they're doing so well in the salt water. I mean, I don't see why not they should not do that well in fresh water for trout. So that was a question that it went into my, into my head over and over again until I start to, again, scouting for the specific fibers I could utilize uh, to tie those dry flies. And then, you know, like anything else, it's a trial and error to put together the flies with those fibers. And then, little by little, uh, Basically, I created the dry flies tied exclusively with with uh, this uh, trigger point from tail, body, thorax, and wings without using any natural materials whatsoever. They float like a cork, and until these days, I don't know what those trout see on these flies, on these materials that they just cannot stay away from it. Not because I say that, but because we have so many phenomenal and great response from people that have been fishing up uh, to the Delaware in our area and elsewhere. That I, it's unbelievable the result that people get in with this with this material in those places. It's just unbelievable. So 100 percent uh, is all the trigger point, and well, you have dubbing too, trigger point dubbing, right? Yes. And then, of course, so, you know, after that, I say, okay, you know, maybe I can start to put a little dubbing in here and there, and then it, 
you added it, but again, it, the dubbing is a synthetic. It's no natural whatsoever. But mainly, uh, the, the fly is constructed 100% with the with the sugar point fibers. Yeah, 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 and it's yeah. Um, it's more of a crinkly type fiber, right? Um, that uh... yes, it, a little bit, not much, you know, just to give yeah. it to give it the the look of you know of the mayflies, and, and, and again, it's a something until these days I cannot explain myself. It's very difficult to understand because the trout is on the water looking at the mayflies on top of the water, and then what do, in reality, what do they see? We don't know. I mean, there is no scientist that they can explain that to us, right, Roger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like they're doing great, and they've. I, I think you just had a bunch of uh, write-up in Fly Fisherman Magazine about those fibers, and uh, they seem to be quite popular. And I, I think, um, uh, Barry, you were asking about what patterns. If, if you go out to Enrico's site, he's got betas, sulfur, blue duns, uh, green drakes, caddis, brown drakes, uh, light cahills, march brown. I mean, Hendrickson. I mean, all the, all the drives that you could uh, think of um, are tied with this material. So you can check them all out there. So Yeah. yeah. And another, yeah. I would like to add one more thing about the, the ability of, of the fibers themselves. Um, I always say and suggest to everyone, when you go fishing in salt water, always carry with you a comb and a scissor, because if you have to do some adjustment in the water, mm. you have a scissors, uh, you can do that, rather the profile or the length. Okay, you right. definitely you can do that. There's no question about that. And yeah, uh, it's yeah. such true doing that with this trout fly. So let's say that you you going you go fishing for trout and you have a specific hatch, and then the fly you have it tied with the with the fibers with the trigger point. It might be a little bit too big for those hatch that occur at the specific time. Now guess what? You pull out your scissors. Now you can shorten the length of the wings if it's needed to do so, or the length uh -huh. of the tail. Well, think about it. If you have a, a dry fly that is tied with, with the hackles and the tail is tied with hackles as well, you cannot really trim the fly. The size, it is what it is. If it's a 14, it's a 14. If it's a 16, it's a 16. If it's a 12, it's a 12. But with the trigger point uh, fibers, no. Now you can do your adjustment of the specific edge right in the wall. How about that? Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, Al Getz uh, wrote a question in on the Internet here. He's in Hastings. He says, uh, what, what makes EP trigger point fibers different from EP fibers? Um, first of all, is the thinner diameter. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the color applied into the fiber itself is a little bit different than the regular EP fibers. Is the process of that specific fibers that what it really makes the difference, and okay. um, you know also what I have in the work right now, uh, I have a uh, a trigger point. I'm going to call them a trigger point supreme, which is a blended with uh, the trigger point fibers, and the EP fibers original is a blended colors, the texture. And that will be a new fibers 
uh, available in the next couple of months. And what the fiber does give a tiny bit more stiffness on flies, especially when you do tie flies in a 12 size of 14 or 10. Uh, I would like okay. to uh, put this out there to everyone. Okay, great, great. Look forward to that, yeah. Um, another question came in on the Internet. Marvin in Mission Viejo, California, he says, uh, will there be new videos using EP fibers? Well, um, I wasn't ready to get started, but unfortunately uh, with this situation we're into now, I had to put everything on the side. But as soon that we are able to gathering a little bit together, I have a couple of videos on my list, and there will be I will do a series of uh, 12 new videos to be put up on my website, one new every month. So I would say uh, to this, yeah, I would say to this gentleman, you know, stay put. It's on the work. I will make that happen. Promise. Okay, good. Um, okay, we're we're running short on time, but we still have. Uh, one of your premier products, the brushes, to talk about. And I, I won't ask you how many you got because I counted them. I think you have 28 different types of brushes. So. Yeah. Uh, yes, but, yes um, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about those and, and how these, did the brushes come about after the fibers? Is this a? Yes, the brushes came out, out after the fibers and um, the idea of the brush, uh, it came, uh, um, to kind of speed up the process of the flies somehow, okay? Because uh, I'm not saying that um, tying any P flies is a difficult flies to tie, but I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm not saying it's an easy to tie as well. It's like anything else. You have to put your time on it and your brain, and then you'll do it. Everything takes time. So the idea of the fibers basically was to speed them up the process. And uh, but more than anything else, you know, the reason I created the the, uh, the brushes was um, cutting a little time when I was, you know, making a crab pattern. Because I figured this out. If I put the fibers and the color fibers into the brush, into the wire and twisted and created the color. So now I can spin the brush around the hook, creating the body. I mean, it looks a mess when you're wrapping around, but then when you start to trimming, top and bottom, and you give it the shape all around, then you can create a crab. So uh, basically it will really knock you down plenty of time, and so you will create the flies in, in shorter time. So that's where the idea really came from. And then after that, it's, oh, how about if I do this? Or what about if I do for that? And what about a streamer? You know, and then you know the way it is. Once your brain starts to work, well, some magic happens. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, um, uh, so the colors... Um, and these are not the, the same fibers as... as in, in that are, that you have in the fibers, like EP fibers, these are specially designed. No, those are uh, you know the, the main ingredient in, into the fibers are the silky fibers and the EP fibers, the original, along with some other fibers that they are not available into the market. 
but okay. it's a blend of is a you know blend. depends into the, the yeah it depends into the uh, into the brush. It might go from two different fibers up to five different fibers, including uh -huh. uh, the sparkle and put them on. And, and again, it depends in the uh, what is the use is for. Right, if it's a salt right. water, fresh water, or steelhead, or whatever the user might. Um, is there one of the brush designs that um, that was really a, a light bulb in your head that said, "Wow, I really got something here when you when you put it all together"? Um, mainly, the one that really impressed me more than anything else was the you know pretty much the the first one that I I put together, you know, which is the the crustacea brush that I did. Huh. For for the craft, I said, "Wow, you know, I cannot believe it, you know, how fast I can do a craft now using the brush and the color, you know, the color combination I have in this craft body is just, you know, phenomenal. Uh -huh. You know, and then and then of course, you know, right after that, it came the streamer brush, which is I usually to tie any small." Um, patterns and uh, streamer patterns I would say up to three and a half inch with that and uh, how easy it is just to wrap around and you know trim the flies and uh, apply some marking uh, colors you know those uh, waterproof color pen and you you have it pretty much you know a really a nice a little look pattern with just wrapping those brushes um. This um, relates to brushes, but um, maybe you can think back before you made your brushes. <laughs> Paul, I mean uh, Phil McCartney in Kentucky again. He asked. Uh, he says I use a bulldog clip to help control long fibers I intend to place in a dubbing loop. What other tools methods do you use for handling unruly materials to be placed in a dubbing loop? Um, well, you can. Um you know what is he using is is good. It's fine. I mean, you can use any clip if that will help you. Uh, but honestly, when I do when I when I used to do that the dubbing loop, I I really didn't use any you know any tools. Uh, there wasn't really tools available to do that unless I was looking on my wife Arsenal to get one of those air clips. If you know what I mean, I just. You know, mm -hmm. try to grab the the materials and then applying to the loop. But you know, you can do. You know, you could do very easily. You know, first of all, you need to apply some wax into the threads, and then uh, you know, construct your whatever materials you want to apply into the loop in your fingers, and you can apply little by little, just open and closing the loop. And uh, I mean, remember, you know, you do maybe two inch or three inch top at the time because once you go over three inch or four inch you will lose the control of the loop and and the material flies the promotion everywhere yeah, uh, yeah that's that's my suggestion now the other thing we haven't uh talked about is you've designed your own components as well that marry nicely with a lot of the uh patterns such as uh crab eyes and claws and and uh Right and other plastic eyes. Um, um, so it sounds like um, you were looking. You had to develop all new products just just to create those flies as well, right? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, again, the reason why I do put together these components is to make it easy on people. I mean, look, anybody can make eyes, don't get me wrong, but they are time-consuming. You know, everybody can make those, you know, crab claw. Again, everything is time-consuming. There is many people out there that make their own eyes and the, and the claws and things like that. That's great, fantastic. But there is, you know, many people out there also that they really don't have the time or they don't have the patience to go over there and turning the, uh, the little highball and then giving the colors and then the deep in epoxy. So it's a process. Everything is a process. And that's the reason why I put these components together uh, to make life uh, a little bit easier uh, for those that, you know, they, they, they want to tie flies a little bit uh, in a faster way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just looking... Uh Shrimp dubbing, uh, trigger point dubbing there, crustacean eyes um, as well. Lots of your proprietary stuff, crab bodies, shrimp eyes, all kinds of stuff there. So yeah. people are going to have a fun time yeah. after we get off here to go shopping on <laughs> <laughs> your site. Well, but, you so, know, look, I understand it's like, uh, it's like a candy store, but, uh, you know, you gotta have a fun time flies. That's the main thing. If you if you don't have a fun, if you get frustrated, you know, just stop with the whole thing. You go pour yourself a glass of wine, take a little break, and then when you finish your glass of wine, go back uh, and finish your work and have a fun. That's the main thing. Have a fun. Yeah, yeah. We've got a couple of questions. Maybe we can run through these. These are kind of just general questions um, sure. uh, from folks that sent in, but I'd like to address them. Uh, in Ed Magali in uh, Chico, California, says, uh, Buona sera, Enrico. Thank you for being on the mm. show this evening. Says, My question is about the use of fluorescent thread and hot spots on some flies. You tied your bluegill pattern for me at the fly fishing show in Pleasanton, California, a couple of years ago, and I was amazed that you used a bright orange thread to finish the fly's nose. Since then, I've watched your video and learned to tie that fly, and, it's, and it is deadly on largemouth bass. So can the use of fluorescent orange or chartreuse be a trigger that causes some fish at some times to take the fly? And if I can ask another question related, are some fish put off by those fluorescent triggers? And is there a point where you shouldn't use them? Well, um, what I say uh, to him is that, uh, in my opinion, yes, the little fluorescent chartreuse or hot orange it will catch the eyes of the fish. That's what I believe it. Um, do I know that for for sure? Uh, that I don't know. But what can I say that, you know, I see this fluorescent threads uh, of the orange and the chartreuse, and then I I do the fly, I finish the eye, the, the fly with uh, at the end, and it's it catches him fish and is more productive, I mean, well, you know, I guess I'm going to be using this phrase when I finish this fly, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's my, my art to do it. But I want to point that to, you know, to him and everybody, you really need to learn how to tie with EP fibers using mono threads. You know, stay away from uh, regular threads because it will bulk the fly and you will are going to have a difficulty using uh, the threads uh, on those fibers. If you look at my videos, basically I use only three different threads. The clear mono threads, which is 
of the threads I use for any fly. And then my finish threads, which is the chartreuse and the hot orange, uh, to mainly finish the flies or do crabs or shrimp pattern. Those are the only threads I use. Hmm. Uh, I strongly suggest everyone to, yes, and uh, there is a, available on the market uh, as a clear mono thread, a, uh, a fine, um, which is, uh, I believe, the 0 .004 and the 0 .006. The 0 .004 is a little bit too thick. You will have a problem using the, the thicker one. You should stick it with the 0 .006. It's a fine. Once you learn how to deal with that thread, you know, and learning how to break down, because in reality, the mono threads, it will not secure the threads. It will not tie down the threads into the hook. What it will do is the you put a drop of glue every step you do. Why should the videos? It's very simple. Okay. And that's what you need and to understand. Looks like you, uh, from your side, you prefer Danville, Flymaster, for those? Um, yes. The, I use the Danville, uh, the clear mono, and the chartreuse and orange, the, you know, the flat nylon. And I'd say mm -hmm. those are the only threads that I use. I don't use any other threads, period. Oh, that makes it simple. <laughs> Very simple. Yeah. And, 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 also, simple. and also, if you think about it, using a clear mono filament as a thread, it doesn't matter what color of the fibers you will use it. The clear money will blend with the color, so there will be no red, no yellow, no green, and no nothing. You yeah. follow me? Yeah. 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 Now this has got to be a relative, but there's a question from Joe Puglisi in Newcastle, California, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and he says this could be a joke, but uh, I'll ask it anyway. How important is the size, color, and length of your flies when fishing for golden dorado in Argentina? <laughs> is there a story behind uh, that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think uh, I don't think the size for those golden dorado makes the difference. Uh, what I would say to my related <laughs> uh, for those for those fish, uh, they're very vicious fish, and, and for those big ones, if you give it to them a bigger piece of meat for them to eat it. They will take a more, you know, more likely than taking a smaller one. So yes, the six inches, seven inch fly, I think it will work better than the smaller one. Okay, um, Gary Kurtz in uh, Central Ohio says every time I go to tie a different fly, there is a new hook style or part number that I don't have. How many types of the same size hook are necessary? What sizes should be targeted? I'm assuming he's talking saltwater here. Yeah, it's a very simple. Uh, you know, uh, keep it simple. You need a one one hook, a basic hook for salt water. When it comes to bait fish pattern, you know, your size should be two watts. Two watts it will cover a, a big fish and a small fish, and a short shank is a, is a better than a longer shank hook, because a longer shank hook it, it might the hook it might open. Or, or if it's a carbon steel hook, you might break it because it's the, the length of the hook shank. In fact, uh, all the flies that uh, you know we tie, they are on a short shirt. And uh, so yes, uh, two out, one out to two out, and then if you pursue, 
for bigger fish, you know, tying uh, larger flies, let's say six, seven inch, and then you might want to use a three a three yard hook. But generally, you know, your uh, meat and potatoes hook is a two yard and 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 a one yard. And then it will be matter of preference, you know. And my suggestion is, you know, get the best one you can get out there. Uh, you know, we're using gamagatsu hooks. I've been using gamagatsu for many, many, many years. And, you know, get yourself the best hook you can. That's all. Okay. And one last question. What uh, yeah. comments do you have, if any, on the, the future of fly design and fly tying materials? Where, where do you see it going from here? Uh, that's a really tough question uh, because, uh, you know, today uh, we already have uh, so many different and so much uh, materials out there that people are going crazy. And uh, uh, and to me it's more a matter of preference when it comes to that. Uh, in terms of changing, uh, what kind of changing is going to be in the future, Honestly, I really cannot see as it is right now. I think we kind of reach the top. Obviously, these days the people they start to adding uh, other components on a fly that has really nothing to do with the fly. I mean, there is many many other components out there that people are using, and to me already that is not a fly anymore. It's it's more like uh, I don't know a jig or some kind of lure, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If we're talking yeah. about flies, to me it's very simple. It's a hook and and the fibers. We, it's a kind of acceptable, the fibers, but in reality it should be the hook and the, the natural material. That's that's the old, the old thing started that way. But in the future it's kind of different because today we have this, uh, you know, this synthetic material that really cover plenty. So yeah. it's a tough question yeah. to ask, I mean, to answer on that. Yeah, it's really kind of exciting out there with all the materials. It's uh, and kind of uh, overwhelming at times, you know. <laughs> Where Absolutely. Do I There's so much available. <laughs> like, I go back to when you started tying flies, and I, I remember, I, I mean, it was tough to find materials. And, uh, I mean, I even uh, rode my bicycle home with uh, dead chickens on the handlebar one day. <laughs> and I got at a chicken farm because I needed some feathers. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah. It's 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 so much different nowadays. There's so much to choose from. <laughs> well, we've yes, run out of time, yes. Enrico. Um, well, hang with me for a few more minutes because we're going to give away your your. Um, oh, thank gift, you, uh, thank you. And uh, I'll be. Uh, I got a few. So hang tight here in just a minute, and we'll finish things up. Uh, the sure. Bristol Bay region of Southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet, and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. The pebble mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit savebristolbay.org forward slash tell President Trump. Again, that's savebristolbay.org forward slash tell President Trump. And there you'll learn how you can get involved and uh, make your voice heard on this important issue. Um, just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on the link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. 
now it's time to give away uh, our prizes. Um, the, the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on a chance of winning one of these great prizes we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, I will contact you after the show to provide you with information on, on how to receive your prize. Uh, so the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. And there you'll learn about this great organization that uh, participates in a lot of conservation efforts and, of course, the fly fishing conclaves and, and uh, certified casting programs and all that kind of stuff. So check them out. Uh, so our winner for that is... Andy Biglin, Biglin, Andy Biglin in California. So congratulations, Andy, uh, and uh, I, I know you'll you'll enjoy your membership. And the second thing we're going to give away is one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Time Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com. And Amato Books has tons of books and periodicals on fly fishing and other types of fishing. So um, check them out, and I'm sure you'll be impressed with their selection. And our winner for that is Jerry Sherman. Jerry Sherman in Kentucky. Jerry Sherman. So congratulations to both you gentlemen tonight, and uh, thanks for playing. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. And now um, we'll do our giveaway. Courtesy of EP Flies, uh, $100 gift basket, so to speak. Uh, Dan Puglisi tells me uh, whoever the winner is, you contact him, and uh, he'll put together a customized uh, group of products coming from EP Flies that... Uh, I know will impress you. So, um, so the question is: Let me clear my queue here, uh, so I know I don't have anything in there. The question is: um, uh, Enrico had talked about waiting flies. Why don't? Why doesn't Enrico believe in waiting the flies? So that's the question. And Enrico, now there's a slight delay before they hear uh, me talking. So. Uh, we have to kind of entertain them between now and then. <laughs> and they got to type their answers. So we'll see if uh, they were paying attention. Um, and, uh, and by the way, we're talking about saltwater flies here, uh, particularly uh, rather than freshwater flies. But uh, I'm sure Enrico has an opinion about that, too. But <laughs> let's just stick with saltwater flies. So let's see what we get here, Enrico, and um, see if anybody was paying attention. Still waiting. So is it springtime in New York, Enrico? Well, I hope, but the, the, the weather has been really lousy. Um, oh, really? I, yeah. I, I tied a couple of flies. Uh, I got my rods ready to go and get, you know, to see if they, if I can catch a couple of stripers. But the, the weather has been really lousy. I'm, yeah, nothing. It's been Gotta gorgeous in Colorado. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> you're lucky. Uh, so we got our first. Yeah, we got our first answer in here. Um, and let me ask you if he answered it correctly. Uh, oh, where'd it go here? My dashboard is kind of acting up here. Hold on. Yeah, um, it was uh, action, the action of the fly. Is that a good enough answer? 
because it changes the, the weight on the fly changes the action of the fly? Uh, are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely if you put the weight into the fly, it will change the action of, uh, of the fly. Absolutely. And that's what you don't like, yeah. Okay, so Pete Suska in Connecticut, just across the, what is it, uh, channel? Um, uh, sound, <laughs> right? Just across the sound from you there, right? So Pete uh, Suska, you just won a prize package from uh, EP Flies that I know you'll enjoy and definitely can use from where you live because uh, you got to fish out the front door too there. So uh, congratulations, Pete. And uh, Pete, send me your um, send me your phone number, and you can use the same text box, and I will pass your information on to Dan Puglisi, and he will get in contact with you about your, your prize package. So, um, And thanks, uh, Enrico, for providing that tonight. It's great. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, I, I'm so thankful you could take your time out to do this. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, you, and uh, for having me on your show. I really enjoyed it, and I hope I was helpful to a couple of folks out there. And anyone has any question, you know, they can always get in touch with me. I'm more than happy to answer any question in my best of knowledge. Thank you again. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, and uh, enjoy your springtime. Hope the weather gets better. <laughs> we will do that. <laughs> okay. Our next broadcast will be on May 20th, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'll interview John Deets. And uh, our topic for the show will be fly fishing and the transformative power of nature. Uh, John, a stuntman for Brad Pitt and fly fishing coordinator for the film A River Runs Through It, will talk about our connection to the outdoors through the prism of fly fishing and uh, investigate its transformative and healing powers. So, Join us to explore your connection with the outdoors. I'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, uh, Douglas Outdoors for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Well,